The song asks a question. Do you really believe that you're someone worth dying for? Sometimes we wonder, don't we? But let me ask you this. Let's turn that question around. Is he someone worth losing your life for? Is Jesus worth it to you to lose your life for him? And I'm not talking about death this morning. Yeah, if it came to that, that would be the question. Is he worth losing your life for? The question this morning is, is he worth you giving up your hopes and dreams to follow him? Because how many of you know that our ways are not God's ways? How many of you wished our ways were God's ways? But guess what? It ain't happening. He said that he is renewing our mind daily according to his ways. He is showing us the glory of his son by opening up his word to us and revealing the truth of his word. Does the truth always speak what we want to hear? <laughs> oh, so listen, don't shoot the messenger this morning. I'm just the messenger. Now, I, ain't, I, I, I got a tough message this morning. I really do. And it's one because Jesus plainly told us that if anyone is not willing to give up all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, there is a cost that comes with following Christ. And he required for his disciples and many others to count the cost before they followed him. It is a choice that each and every one of us have to make. We can see that because of our sin condition, he died for us. And he saw us as someone worthy to lose his life for. But the question remains, is he worth it to us to lose our life for? Because let me explain something to you. Just because he died for you does not necessarily mean that you are entering into heaven. You have to die to you and choose to follow him. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, the purpose that you were created for was to be the image of God. The book of Genesis says, In our image we will create man and woman. In other words, we were supposed to look like he looks. Now somewhere along the way, we got pretty ugly. We fell short of his glory a long ways. But he sent the payment for that sin. He said, the wages of that falling short of my glory is death. But I'm going to send a gift for you. And if you will accept it and choose to follow his way, you will have eternal life. And this is my gift from you. So God sends his son, Jesus, and he dies on the cross. And he pays the sin ticket or the wage of death that you and I owe. And now we accept that by faith and say, God, I accept the payment that you have made for us and I follow your son. But as we follow him, we learn that it's not an easy road, is it? Matter of fact, the Bible calls it a narrow road. Few are there that are going back. I want to talk to you this morning from, we're going to start in the book of Matthew chapter 6. I don't know if that clock's right up there or not, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you I really don't care. <laughs> this morning, I'm going to preach this message, and when we get done, we'll go eat. We won't have no services tonight. The Lord is going to have his way right now. I'm not going to speak my words, I promise you. I'm going to leave my two cents out of it, and I'm going to speak the word of God to you. Matthew chapter 6, let's read verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 6, if you're there, say amen. amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. Here we go. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, what's the next three words, somebody? When thou doest or when you do. Did he say if you do? So when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their what? But when you do a charitable deed, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. You may be seated this morning. Father, I just, I come to you and I humble myself, Father. Lord, I, I know that without you I'm nobody, and I know that my words can bring forth nothing, God, without you. Father, I'm not here to try to win a, ministerial Grammy or a trophy for being the best preacher. I just want to speak your word, God. And Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to each and every heart here this morning, mine included, God. And Father, I pray that we would hear your word speak truth, God. Lord, that we would not deny it just because our flesh don't like what it says, God, but that we would trust that your word is true and either we line up with it or we don't. And Father, I pray that you help us to see that this morning. You take control. You do what you want to do. This service is yours, not ours. And Father, we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reading to you here from what the scholars call the Sermon on the Mount. The first, uh, the, the, I don't remember where it started. I think Matthew 5 maybe. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I think, are the summary of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught. Basically, he's seen a bunch of people gathering together to hear him speak. And he went up to the mountain and he sat down and he began to teach them. And what you are reading here all the way from Matthew 5 through Matthew 7 is a summary or it is a pattern that Jesus would have the Christian people to walk in. He goes through and he tells them, the law says this, but I say to you, this is what it means. He begins to describe the heart of the law, not the letter of the law. He begins to explain to them that the heart of the law is to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. To love their neighbor just like themselves. And when you walk in this kind of love, you cannot break any of God's laws. So he's trying to explain to them all of the things that they need to be doing out of the goodness of their heart, not according to just because the law says so. Listen, the law says the speed limit going through town is uh, 30 or 40 mile an hour, right? But let's suppose that school's in session and children are crossing the road. Just because it says 30 mile an hour, does that mean it's okay for you to go 30 mile an hour? No, the heart of the law would say slow down lest you hurt somebody. Do good. It's not about following a letter of commandments. It's about seeing what is good and what is right and choosing from the goodness of your heart to do what God would have you do. And Jesus is teaching this in the Sermon on the Mount and he gets to chapter 6 and he starts laying out three duties. There are three main duties of a Christian right here that Jesus does not believe he has to do a whole lot of teaching to them about doing them. Matter of fact, Jesus automatically assumes that as Christians or as children of God, we automatically know to do these things. The first one he speaks of, I'm going to begin a series on today, and that is giving alms. It is doing charitable deeds, giving to the poor, giving to the needy. And the second one he moves on to speak to is prayer. If you look down in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6, he says, when you pray, not if you pray, right? When you pray. So when you do a charitable deed, do it this way, not this way. When you pray, do it this way, not this way. And then he goes on into Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. He says, moreover, what's them next three words? When you fast. So he lays out three Christian duties here that he assumes that every Christian just automatically should know that they should do if they have any knowledge of God at all. We have just ended a series on fasting two weeks ago. Before that, I ended a series on prayer. Now, for some reason, God's got me going backwards. I don't know why. But I'm following him. He ain't following me. Amen? So we're going today into a series on giving alms. But there's another thing I want you to notice about these Christian duties here. If you'll look down in Matthew 6, verse, verse 4, look what he says. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself what? Alright, now go down to Matthew 6, verse uh, 6. 
But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father in, who sees in secret will what? All right, go on over with me to Matthew chapter 7. I mean, Matthew chapter 6, verse, um, verse 18. So that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will what? These are the only three things of duties that Christ gives you as particular works or, or things that he would have you do as Christians that he plainly lays out for you when you do these things and you do them with the right motives and the right heart toward God. What does God do for you? If Jesus did not want you to know that, guess what? He wouldn't have told you. He has a desire to reward you for the things that you do for him. So he says here, when you do this way, he will reward you openly. So I asked the question this morning. Why would it be a duty of a Christian to give alms? Why would it be a duty of a Christian to, to give of what I have worked hard for? I mean, Nick, I worked for it, did I not? I'm the one who got up and, and, and went to work and worked my 12-hour shifts and, and drew my paycheck at the end of the week. Ronnie, you're the one who went to college and got your degree. And, and, and Letha, you're the one who, who got your degree to be a pharmacist. And, and you're the one who worked to get this stuff. I mean, why should I have to give what I have worked for to somebody else? Can they not work as hard as I can and do the same things I did? Did anybody stop them from going to college and getting a college degree and making money? Why do I have to give alms? It's mine. I have made this money. Right? Well, let's take a look. First Chronicles chapter 29. Let's see where this money come from. First Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to read verses 10 through 15, and I got to take his jacket off. Hang on. First Chronicles chapter 29. I'm going to move through several scriptures, so Tim, if you can hang with me and y'all can kind of keep up with him, I'd appreciate it. This is what it reads beginning in verse 10. And what you need to know, a little background here, is that all the people have brought all their gold, silver, and all their fine possessions together to build God a temple. And this is where they've got a heap full of gold and, and precious stones and wood and all the possessions in verse 10, therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and all in earth is whose? Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from who? You, Lord, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is great to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, O God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly to, as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as, we, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. It is only because of you that we have anything. All is yours. If you don't make the path, we can't follow it. If you don't put in the heart to go to college, we don't go. If you don't provide the job, we don't get paid. Do you think it's coincidence that you were born in America and somebody else was born in Ethiopia? That ain't no coincidence, is it? So why do I give alms? Why do I have to give? Well, number one, because God gave it to you. He freely gave it to you, but he didn't give it to you for no purpose, for no purpose of your own alone. He gave it to you for two reasons, and I want to go over them this morning. Number one is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. 
Genesis 1, verse 26. We're going to go through verse 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Where did all these things come from? Did man make them? It was the grace of God and he gave them to us, right? Keep going with me. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God what? Blessed them. He gave them his grace. He gave them his blessing. And here's what he said. After he blessed them, he said to them, Be fruitful and what? He said, I made you in my image. I have given you this blessing. I have given you this grace. Now your duty is to take my blessing, to take my grace, and multiply my image throughout all the world, for that's why I created you to do. So in the beginning, when we were perfect, it was to do through reproduction. Every baby that was born was absolutely the image of God. No non-flesh. Every person that came was the image of God and we were to take the blessing of God, the cattle and all our possessions and give it to them and help them grow and nourish them. And now that we have felt short of that glory, the plan has changed a little bit today. Now Jesus has came and the way that we multiply and fill the earth full of his glory is by taking Jesus Christ and all the blessing of salvation and money and all the things that he has given us and we use that to make Jesus known to all the world and the more people that come to Christ and begin to follow him they walk in his image and they become who God created them to be. Does that make sense this morning? So he give us this blessing to be a conduit to make his glory known unto all the world. You see that? Look at Genesis chapter 12. I'm going somewhere this morning. I got a little ways to go too. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 and 2. Y'all hang on. I'm about to get excited. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that what? I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And according to that next verse, what is, I, what is Abraham's job to do with that blessing? He said, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to send you and make you be born in America. I'm going to put you through college. I'm going to make you a pharmacist. I'm going to make you a, a manager of a company. And I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to bless you. And then your job is to take what I've given you and be a blessing. Do you see that this morning? Well, let me tell you what I've learned in the last few weeks. We disconnect the blessing of God from the purpose of God. In other words, what we do is we take the blessing of God and we say, God has blessed me. And indeed he has, right? But that's about where it stops. Now, granted, we are giving people here. I really believe that. I'm going to tell you the help center, what you did last week, that's a prime result of that. But let me tell you what God's telling me. We still got a long ways to go to get where he means for us to be. We disconnect his blessing from his purpose he did not give us this blessing for me alone. Yes, he gave it for me even to enjoy, he says. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said that God blesses us richly with all things for us to enjoy. But he also says in the same chapter, don't be greedy. Be content with what things you have. Having food and clothing, be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He says that I give you these things to enjoy, but it's not to stop there. You become a conduit and then you give it out to someone else. We are 99% me is what we are, right? You, let's just evaluate ourselves this morning. Be honest with me. 
Every week, according to our paychecks, what we bring in, what does 99.9% .9 of it go to? Right here. Me. I'm preaching to me this morning. Y'all hear me? Me. I work for me. That's what I work for. Uh, and, and if I have anything left over, then I'll be a blessing. I basically, you know what I do? <laughs> I say, God, I'm done with this supper, so I'm going to get all these scraps together on this plate, and I'm going to take it outside, and I'm going to feed it to the dogs. That's what you're worth to me, God. That's what you're worth to me. You're worth about as much as I feed to my dogs. That's tough, ain't it? That's tough. But let me tell you something, it is absolute truth. I thought about a, a young lady in the book I've been reading. God sent her on a mission trip to Guatemala because she had found out that it was her duty to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations by showing them the glory of God. She didn't go because she had a great desire to serve God. She went out of just because she felt like she had to out of obedience to Him. And she gets there and... She begins to minister and she sees all these children over in Guatemala that live on one cup of porridge a day. One cup. One cup of soup a day, that's what they live on. And she said that whenever she got back to Birmingham, Alabama, she, the only thing she could keep asking God is, God, why have you blessed me with so much when others have so little? And she said, I have learned that God has blessed me with so much so that I might go and make him known by taking what he's blessed me with and give those children in Guatemala a little more than one cup of porridge a day. I didn't go to Guatemala because I thought I was going just out of obedience. God was opening my eyes to where my blessing that he's given me is supposed to go. And it's not all about me. See, we live in the American dream, ain't we? <laughs> The big house, the nice car, oh, we want it all. And don't get me wrong, God's not ashamed of those things. He gives you those things to enjoy. But the problem is we are so selfish with the blessing that he's given us that the majority of it goes on us. But Jesus tries to correct us on this, and y'all are not going to like this, okay? Listen to me. You're not going to like it. I don't like it. I didn't like it. He gonna, he, I'm asking him to change my heart. I really am. Luke chapter 12. My ways are not his ways. He's showing me that every day. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Y'all just hang with me, please. I know it's going to get a little late in here. but I want to show you how Jesus tries to connect us back to the purpose where we're supposed to be. He's going to try to turn us around. He's going to try to get us to start where we're at right now in the blessing that God has put us in and reverse this process so that we quit living for us. My mindset is not looking for the bigger house anymore. It's not. My mindset is not looking to go from the Maxima to the Lexus. Oh, it was. Nick, I got in that Lexus in Huntsville, Alabama, and I'm talking about that baby was sweet. Let go of the steering wheel. She drove down the road so nice. Oh, I said, baby, we can afford this. My mind don't think like that now. My mind says, maybe I can sell that Maxima and I can find me a that old Maxima I got, the power steering pump's going out, the transmission's fixing to go out, the oil leaks, leaks. three mechanics can't find the oil leak. I when I stop to fill up with gas, I go ahead and fill up with oil at the same time. But you know what? She's still running. My mind is thinking different about the way I'm using my blessing. It's not just about my desires anymore. It's about the mission and purpose of God now because he's changing me. But this is getting a little tough. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Y'all bear with me. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, So he's talking to the young man first about inheritance. This man wants something, some possessions. He turns around and he looks at all the crowd that is gathered around. And he begins to speak to them and he tells them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. You know what that word actually means? In the Hebrew or the Greek form that this come in, that word actually says pleonexia. Pleonexia, according to the Greek definition, actually means a greedy desire to have more possessions. 
It's not just about wanting something that belongs to someone else. That's what coveting is. But it's about a greedy desire to have more possessions. And he said, beware of this because it's a trap out there trying to grab all of America. It's a trap that's trying to grab all the world, a greedy desire for possessions. And he says, beware of this for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And in verse 16, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. So he's got to tell them a heavenly story with an earthly meaning about greedy desire, right? So he says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Now, was it a sin for this man to be rich? No. Was it his fault he was rich? He came from God, did he not? So it's not the sin that the man's rich, but he's fixing to let Greedy desire lead him into sin. Look what he does. When the, when the field yielded plentifully, in verse 17, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? All right, now think about that. God has blessed me plentifully. And if you live in America today, listen to me, you are blessed plentifully. I don't care how poor you think you are. You got more than one cup of porridge a day, don't you? You're doing pretty good. He said, what shall I do with this great blessing that God has blessed me with since I have no room to store it? Let me keep on going. This is what I do. This is what I do. I do this. Y'all listening to me? Since, I, since there is no room to store my cross, but then look at verse 18. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there I will store all my crops and my goods and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, what did he say to him? He said, you fool. You fool. This night your life will be required of you. And then whose things will those be that you had? Your life don't consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. He said instead of storing up, why didn't you find somebody who needed some of that and bless somebody else? That's the whole reason I gave it to you. But instead you decided... I have yielded plentifully this year. I will tear down my house and I will build a bigger house. I will sell my Maxima and I will buy my Lexus. I will sell my Lexus next year and I will buy the Ferrari. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that it's a sin to own those things. Listen, I'm saying it's about your thought pattern of what God has blessed you with, of what you're going to do with it. It didn't come from you. He gave you the ability he gave it to you. Look what he says next. Verse uh, 21. Remember, what did God call that man? A what? So is he who lays up treasure for who? And is not rich toward who? He said there's two ways to live. You can take my blessing that I give you and you can use it on who? Or... You can take my blessing that I give you and you can use it on who? Others. And then that makes you rich toward who? Because let me tell you what God said. God said when you pour out to others, I pour into you. In other words, I'm laying up treasures for you because you are doing what I asked you to do so I am rewarding you both openly here in this world and laying up treasures for you in eternal places where moth and rust can't get in and destroy. It is eternal. Keep going with me in verse 22. Because listen, let me tell you what this does to us. When God tells us not to lay up treasure for ourselves anymore, when God tells us don't think about building bigger and buying better, when God tells us to change our way of thinking about this world and its possessions, you know what it does to us? Ugh, Lord. What am I going to do if I don't have this or if I don't do that? And God, I don't know. This is scary. Oh, I just don't know. You know, I've always had this. I've always done that. I just don't think I can change this. So then look what he says in 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not what? <laughs> you think it's coincidence that right after he told them out, he said, Guys, don't worry. 
he looked at these guys because he saw they're worried. He said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about yourself. He says, what you will eat nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? You know, it really comes down to God, do I trust you or not, don't it? And we say we do. Whether we actually do or not is a different story. Verse 25. And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of what? He said, guys, you don't trust God. Your faith is so little. You think you've got to provide for you. You think you've got to take care of you. God said, you take the blessing and use it. What did he tell Abraham? He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you. Get out of your country. You know what he's telling you right now? Get out of your life. Get out of your family. Get out of all these things that are you, and I will make you great. I will bless you. I will do all these things for you, and then you shall be a blessing like you're supposed to, walking in faith with God providing for you, and then you just pouring out, feeding hungry clothing naked. Is this making sense this morning? Well, keep going with me. <laughs> Verse 28. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And in verse 29, he tells them, Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Look at verse 30. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. Listen. God knows that man don't live by bread alone, but you know what God knows? He lives by bread. He knows you need bread. He knows you need shelter. He knows you need clothes. Your father knows you need all these things, but you're not like all the nations of the world. All the nations of the world, their life is set to seek after these things. Ain't that the truth? Us too. Our heart is set to seek after these things. And that's what we live our life to do. He says, no, turn this thing around. Don't seek after those things. Your father knows that you need them. And then look what he says in verse 32. This is not coincidence that he uses these words right here. He says, do not fear. When we think about might having to get rid of our house, what, is it, what does it do to you? When you think about you might have to get rid of your car, or you might not be able to have all these things that you so want in this world, what does it do to you? Get you scared, don't it? Jesus looked at him and said, guys, don't fear. But look at the wording that he used. Do not fear. What's those next two words? Y'all ever seen a baby lamb? I wish I'd have got Lauren Bishop to bring a baby lamb in here this morning. She brought one church one, one Wednesday night, and I wanted to choke her before we left. My wife's out there. Oh, <laughs> goodness, this is so precious. She wanted to take it home so bad. Lauren's going, take it home. You can have it. No, we can't. We don't need another animal. God looks at us like that baby lamb. He said, don't fear, little flock. Well, you know what I think about when I think of Jesus calling me a little flock? I think about God being my shepherd. Don't you know the disciples would have known Psalm 23 very well? He said, do not fear, little flock. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not what? In other words, you shall not lack anything that you need. You may not have everything you want. Matter of fact, you won't. But do not fear, little flock. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. He will make you to lie down in green pastures. He will lead you beside the still waters. 
Can you imagine when you're walking, following God as your shepherd, and we've got this tanked room? How many of you ever worry about paying your bills? Why don't you turn that thing around? Why don't you start being his little flock? Why don't you just start using to bless others, and then you just sit back and wait on God to take control and steal those waters? Why don't you let God to show you where the pastures are green at and where they're not? Do not fear, little flock. I say the first reason for you not to fear in what God is telling the truth of getting rid of your mindset of chasing after worldly things. Our money is so precious to us. He said, listen, don't fear, little flock. I'm your shepherd. And if you believe that I'm your shepherd, then you've got to believe you shall not want. Your father knows that you need these things. But look what he goes on next and say. I got so much I want to say about this, but I'm going to speed it up, go through it a little quicker. Listen to what he said. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your what? Your father's good pleasure. Listen, you're more to him than sheep. If you think a baby lamb is precious, you let somebody. I, I, I watched Tyreek go back there and get that little baby. And, and when he was walking up through there, you know what all the choir did? <laughs> Every one of them was just, oh, look at that little baby. You think a sheep is precious? Well, guess what? You ain't a sheep to God. He is not only your shepherd, but he is your father. You are his little babies. You are his children. And it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So not only is God, not only is God your, your shepherd that you will not want, not only is God your father that wants to give good things to his children, it is his good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom. Thank you, Carson. It is his pleasure to give you the kingdom. So that means not only is he your shepherd, not only is he your father, but he is also your king. And let me tell you something about kings in these times. You could tell how good a king was by how well his subjects were treated. You think God's going to make himself known as a bad king? <laughs> it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He has a kingdom prepared for you if you will just follow after his ways with your blessings. Don't fear about getting rid of your, your possessions, about walking a different direction, about turning this thing around. Don't fear about giving to others. Don't fear about giving. You know, we ought to even this thing out to where, it, we ought to at least get it to where it's half and half. Half goes to our house and our bills and the other half goes to God and feeding hungry. Boy, that's scary, ain't it? Right now, we don't even hardly do 10%, right? 50%? What you talking about, preacher? Shoot. Here we go. You crazy. Look what he says. 32. Don't fear, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Look at verse 33. Here's where it comes in. Sell what you have. Mm. Sell what, Lord? What do I sell? What do I sell, God? Do I sell my house? Do I sell my car? Well, let's, let's think about a few things. I'm not telling you today that you should sell everything. I'm not. I don't believe God is. Let me tell you what God, he might. He might. Don't think for a second. Let me ask you this. If he did, what would you say this morning? Let me ask you, would you get up and walk out of here this morning if God said, sell everything you own? Would you, would you be like the rich young ruler who said, Ooh, I can't do that. And I'm going to have to turn around and find me another church who don't preach that way. Some of y'all may do that next week anyway. I don't know. <laughs> y'all know it's true too. Come on. If he told you that this morning, what would you do? How would it make you feel? Is he worth you dying for? Is he, do you see so much value in him that you're willing to sell everything else you own because he is the only thing worth anything in this world? If he were to say that to you, how would you feel? In Mark chapter 10, you ain't got to go there, we see a rich young ruler who wanted to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus examined him, and knowing his heart, he looked at the young man and he said, you're doing everything right, but one thing you lack. Go sell everything you own. Give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven, and you'll be ready for eternal life. 
The Bible says the rich young ruler turned away and walked away sad because he had many possessions. There was an instance where he told him, sell everything. But then in Luke chapter 19, verse 8 and 9, y'all remember Zacchaeus? You know, he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, the Savior, for to see. You know, and whenever Jesus found him and he, he, he saw the Lord for the value that he was, he said, Lord, I sell all my possessions. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 8 and 9. Look at what Zacchaeus said. Luke 19, verse 8 and 9. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, what? Today salvation has come to this house. You know how Jesus knew salvation had come? Because Zacchaeus saw more value in following Christ than he saw in all his possessions. See, Zacchaeus used to chase after the riches of the world. But now Zacchaeus sees more value in that treasure of Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37, we see the, the apostle or, or Barnabas that sold some land that he owned and gave it to the church to distribute to the needy. He's had a field that he owned. So I asked the question, what do I sell, God? Well, some, gave, some had to give all their possessions. Some gave half. Some didn't have much to give. Widow only had two mites, but she gave all. It wasn't about how many possessions you have to sell. You don't have to sell any of your possessions and give it to anyone. It's your choice to do with whatever you want. It's about seeing so much value in the reward of God that possessions aren't important to you anymore. Instead, you have a desire to use your possessions for God's purpose. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And when he found that treasure, he hid it. And he went back to town and he sold everything that he had just so he could go back and buy that field. Everybody else thought he was crazy. They didn't see the treasure he saw. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price that a merchant was out seeking these pearls. And when he found this pearl of great price, it was so precious and valuable to him that he sold everything else he had just to buy that one pearl. Because it was so precious and that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. When salvation comes to your house, that's what truly happens in your heart. And Jesus said, beware of greedy desire because it leads to hell is where it leads. But when your heart is changed and your possessions go toward the purpose of God and you see more value in him, salvation has come to this house. So he says in verse 33 of Luke 12, and I'm going I'm to try to wrap this thing on up. I've been, been up here long enough. Verse 33. He said, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches or moth destroys. Now let me ask you a question. How do I provide for myself money bags in heaven that do not fail and where no thief can come in? By what? Selling what you have and doing charitable deeds. Giving alms. I'm not saying you're buying your way into the kingdom. No, you can't do that. It's a gift. But he said the evidence that you have truly received this gift is that you see that you're laying up rewards as you use your possessions for these things. You know, the truth of the matter is, he said if we use our possessions on us and we lay up treasures for ourselves, we really ain't even seen the love of God, just to be honest with you. A man that sees the kingdom of heaven, he sees so much value in it that his earthly treasures don't really even mean anything to him anymore. But instead, he sees the world that's hungry and he says, God, show me a place where I can give to bless somebody else in your name. Show me a place where I can give for your glory, for your purpose. Show me a hungry kid in world vision that I can feed. Show me somewhere, God, that I can take what you have so richly blessed me with and I can be a blessing to others for your glory, for your love. And look at verse 34. The question I ask, 
don't accumulate here. Where is your treasure? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, the point of selling your possessions is that as you walk with Christ, your heart should be gaining a desire to simplify your life rather than accumulate. Remember, it wasn't a sin for this rich man to be rich. It wasn't a sin for him to have a, a, a nice house and a nice car. It was a sin because as God kept pouring in, what did he keep doing? He just kept receiving. He never reached the point to where he stopped and said, this is enough. I don't need any more than this. I don't need this. I don't need this. He reached a point and he said, I've got everything that I need, but there are millions and billions out there that don't. He gained a desire to simplify his life rather than accumulate. And I believe that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. Don't keep trying to accumulate because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And if you're trying to accumulate in possessions, guess where your heart is? Come on, let's quit deceiving ourselves, right? We say, God, I love you. Oh, but I live for the world. We got to get real sometime. Ain't that what they say this day? I'm just being real with you. We got to get real sometime. He says here where your treasure is, that's where your heart will also be. Don't accumulate here. Become rich toward God. Jesus goes on in 35 through 36, 46, and I'm going to wrap this up right here. He tells us to be serving and watching for his return. Don't get lazy and greedy waiting for his return. He will come when we least expect it. And he ends by telling Peter that this message is for everyone. Look at verse 41. <laughs> Peter, I love old Peter. Listen, after Jesus said, y'all sell what you have, look what Peter said to him. He said, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? <laughs> I may want to be in those other people over there. Is this just to us or to all people? Jesus looked back at him and he said, Well, who is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? And he answers his own question in verse 43. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But then skip down to me at verse 48. And I'm going to end right here. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to, and here's the key, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Have you been given much? And the answer is yes, you have. The question is, are you accumulating? Are you a fool? Can I say that this morning? I mean, y'all come see me in the pastor study after it's over if you want to. But can I say, can, can I say, are you a fool this morning? I've been one. Sure have. I've been one. He says, simplify. Don't keep accumulating. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Sell what you have and give to the poor and you're going to provide for yourself a treasure in heaven. You remember we said when you do a charitable deed, do it in this mindset and your father who sees in secret will what? Reward you openly. Him who much has been given, much will be required and to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more. Finally, and this is it, this week we celebrate Thanksgiving, don't we? What is Thanksgiving? God, thank you for all you've given me, right? <laughs> Is that where we stop? God, thank you for all you've given me. Me, 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 me. You want to thank God for all he's given you? Why don't you use what he's given you for the purpose he gave it to you for? And that's to be a blessing to somebody else. If you really want to thank God for his grace and his blessing, then let us evaluate how well we're using it for his purpose of making him known to the world. How much of our blessing and our grace is used to accumulate for us and how much is used for his purpose and making him known to all the world. Why don't we turn this thing around? Let's become richer toward God this morning and less dependent on our worldly possessions. Can I get an amen on that? Or, or am I going to have an empty church next Sunday morning where a preacher don't preach this way? Look at your life. Is there some accumulation in your life that you could sell and find someone in need to give it to? 
Is it? Then listen to the word of the Lord. Why don't we start this process now? Why don't we go on and start feeding hungry in Africa and Guatemala? And why don't we go ahead and start getting their world vision and seeing, seeing every family in this church sponsor at least one child to feed? Why don't we start getting this thing in order of where we're supposed to be going with our possessions and our things? And why don't we just begin today? You having trouble paying your bills? Go on and sell something and just quit having to worry about paying them bills like that. We get ourselves in such a mess financially, don't we? All because of selfishness. Boy, if the Lord was our shepherd, how much easier would this life be? Evaluate your life this morning. You answer that question. Be truthful with yourself. God, where are some storing up areas in my life that I can turn around and I can give it to you and use it for your glory? Provide money bags for myself in heaven. Amen. Y'all stand this morning. Shirley, come on. The altar is open for whatever you need this morning. Forgiveness, repentance, salvation. I don't know what you need this morning. I ask you to just consider what the Lord has spoke to you personally. Not what I said to you because listen, I, tr I pray I didn't speak my words. <laughs> my words can't do anything. Whatever God spoke to you this morning, listen to him. Don't be mad at me. Be, I got, you know what I told God? I did. I said, God... I just got out of fasting. I just got these people to start fasting and you want me to go into this? God, do you know what you're doing? I did, Nick. I really did. I did. I said, God, you, I, I don't think you know what you're doing. And even this morning, sitting right there watching the youth drama, I said, oh, we can, let's just get up there and call out three or four more songs. You ain't got to do this this morning. Just go on. And I almost didn't do it. I almost didn't. I'm afraid the Lord put me in jail or something, so I ain't... I ain't doing that no more. Amen. Y'all listen to God this morning. Whatever he says, obey him. Let's sing.